Hello and welcome to episode 244 of the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm uh, Manny Manuel. Apologies for bumping into the mic while I gave that intro. That was probably not great for the headphone users, but uh, we don't edit this podcast, so it's staying in. Yeah, because I'm that, lazy. Yeah, my, my clip for doing the intro in, in, a, uh, in a complete fashion is pretty good these days. There was a time when I stumbled over a good, a good number of them. <laughs> Yeah, there used to be a lot of stumbles, yeah. a lot of ums when I listened to those early podcasts. They were not good. Among other things that have improved as the podcast has gone along, we are introducing a, uh, a new format yes. today, uh, something we have talked about a bit and not really sure how today's going to go, but it's going to be interesting and I think we're going to... I think we're going to get a lot of value, the two of us, out of this episode format. I agree. And I, I hope listeners do too. If you like what we're about to do, please let us know. And if you don't like what we're about to do, please also let us know. Yeah. Um, Manny, do you want to introduce the concept sure. of what today is? Yeah. Uh, we're calling this our In Memoriam Emporium. What we're doing is we're going to pay tribute to those that we lost last year and remember the performances that we enjoyed the most. This is going to be very similar to our top 10 lists. We are doing a top 20, but... With this being a list of the people that passed away in 2022, obviously the majority of them are going to be older. Hence, Sam won't have as much experience with their filmography as I have. So for today, I'll be doing a top 20. Sam will be doing a top 10. Yeah, as far as actual performances that I had seen, I think I had a list of about 16. And as we were sitting here, I, yeah, I think I only found a couple of those as we were sitting here kind of remembering names that we may have missed. Um, but it would have been a stretch for me to discuss all 16. Like, that's just performances that I've seen. So I yeah, totally. figured I'd rather keep it to 10 that I felt comfortable talking about. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we would kind of go from there. Totally. The other thing is, well, oh, I had something off the top of my head and I completely forgot it. Oh, well, I'm just going to let that go. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. But it had to do, it did have to do with everything. Curses. I'm, I'm very sad about that. Uh, Sam, with this being like our top 10 of the year and our top 10 when we do our year in reviews, uh, we do have some rules when we do mm -hmm. these lists. Uh, why don't you share them with our listeners? Right. So as always with our, uh, with our lists, we do them in ascending order. Uh, in this case, from 20 to 1. Uh, even number year, uh, we're talking about the year 2022. That means Manny goes first. Uh, so we are going to uh, start with Manny. Of course, he has his top 20. So for his first 10 performances, uh, he will just be uh, he'll be doing his favorite thing, which is uh, talking uninterrupted. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. I'll I'll jump in if there's anything I need to say about anyone. Um, if one of us wants to talk about somebody at a slot. Um, but the other one has it at a higher slot, uh, we would interrupt them and discuss it at the higher higher placement. So, um, you know, for instance, um, if Manny tries to talk about Olivia Newton-John in Greece uh, at his number 18 slot, but I go, oh, you know, uh, not so fast. I have her higher up on the list. We're going to have to wait to talk about her. We'll just leave that there. Manny will move on to his next one. Uh, I think that all makes sense. We're also, uh, I should make this clear exactly what we're doing the top 10 and or top 20 of. Mm -hmm. uh, we're doing our favorite performances. So uh, we haven't done anything as of yet for, you know, uh, directors, producers, um, uh, composers, uh, anything like that. We may have something about directors coming up uh, a little later in the episode. But for this particular list, we're just talking about actors mm -hmm. and we're just talking about film. Um, so no TV performances or anything like that. So I would consider this top 10 or top 20, 
film performances from those who passed in yep. the last in the last year. Um, and these are our favorites. These aren't necessarily the objectively best, although there are some objectively pretty darn good ones in there. Yep. Um, but uh, there are they're going to be our favorites here. Yeah. And the other thing in this, I finally remember what I forgot earlier. Uh, this was kind. We had this plan for a while, but if we when we finish our rankings and our list, and you feel that we've missed somebody, mm-hmm. please let us know. We I tried my best to go through the Hollywood obituaries to make a list of uh, a, a nice list of people that passed away in 2022 that Sam and I could work off of. Um, did you do any of your own research to look up, or did you just get honestly? I, I, man, I, I went off. I uh, Manny it. sent me a list, and I know you're generally pretty thorough, so I just went off of that. I did do deep dives on each of those people that you yeah. sent me, but I didn't do deep dives on. Um, to see if I missed to, anybody? To see if you missed anyone. No. Okay. There was actually, there was one who isn't an actor who uh, I caught just before we went on air here tonight yes. who, who didn't make my list anyway, so it didn't even matter. So I'm, I'm certain there's some that made it through the cracks, but I think the most important ones uh, got in there. I hope so. Uh, I, like, I am really nervous. I couldn't, I just couldn't find a really great list without having to go through a, without a fine tooth comb on some of them. So I tried my best. Uh, again, if we if we and miss I anybody, guess I please. I should say we're not even talking about everybody anyway, because we don't yeah. have any intentions to just like list all of these people off, because there's mm-hmm. a lot of them, and um, you know, not everybody will be represented in our lists, and that's Correct. okay. Yep, that is okay. So. All right, so should we try this out? Yeah, let's go. Um, so I guess we're starting with your number twenty. Yep. You'll continue and read uh your twenty through number ten. And then I will do my number 10, and we'll proceed from there. For sure. Uh, and I'll hop in with useful stuff wherever I may have it, um, which I don't know how much I'll have. But I'm, let's go. I'm going to mention this right now. I actually forgot to mention this. We're going to do a little behind the curtains on air. I have the actor and the role and the movie listed. Do you have that as well? What do I have? I have uh, actor, movie, role. Hey, how about that? Okay, perfect. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to make sure. Okay, here uh, we go. I. Yeah, oh. okay. We'll, we'll go from there. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, all right, my number 20 uh, is an actor named Brad Johnson. He played Ted Baker in the movie Always. Okay, haven't seen this. Yep. Uh, okay, honestly, he's fucking horrible in this movie. <laughs> Flat out, he is not a good actor. The reason I have this is that I love this movie so much, and I wanted to put this on the list. Um, he has a few charming moments, um, but he truly stands out at how bad he is. When he's on screen with the three other leads, and that's Richard Dreyfus, Holly Hunter, and John Goodman. Uh, this is a Steven Spielberg film. It is a, it's one of his movies that has garnered a lot of ill will. It it's considered low lower tier Spielberg. Um, this is in the upper half for me. Uh, I really like this movie, and there's a lot of really great scenes. Brad Johnson has a few. A few moments in it, uh, he is strikingly handsome, and it's one of the reasons that he was cast. I recently heard that his role was supposed to be played by Tom Cruise, mm. and I can tell you right now, if Tom Cruise had played him in this movie, this would be top tier uh, Spielberg. Uh, it is a it's a real. It's it's exactly what you think is Spielberg. It is incredibly sentimental, 
but it's early Spielberg, so he knows how to end it properly. Uh-huh. <laughs> Manny's making a reference to uh, my distaste of the ending of the movie, uh, Bridge of Spies. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a movie I really like. His performance, like I said, it's not great, but it gave me an excuse to talk about always, and it's that is something I don't always get to do. hey <laughs> Um, Don't know anything about this person. Brad Johnson, he was a Marlboro man. Not surprisingly, like if yeah. you look at like, him, when you said is, strikingly good looking, that's that, he, that he, checks out. He is a very handsome man, especially back then in the eighties and nineties. Uh, all right, that's my number twenty. Okay. Uh, wow, my, I, just, I just found a picture of him. That is a good looking dude. Yeah. Uh, my number nineteen. I wonder if you'll have this on your list. Hmm. Um, my number nineteen is David Warner as Spicer Lovejoy in Titanic. Uh, yeah. So I. I did not have this on my list. Okay. Um, but of course I have seen this movie. We reviewed it for the podcast. Why don't you, why don't you go ahead? Okay. Well, if you're wondering who this character is, because I actually, again, if you had asked me what his character name in that movie, I, would I, not I came across it. this performance as I was researching. I didn't even write it down. Cause I was like, Oh, I don't fucking remember that. But yeah, yeah. he is basically, uh, Billy Zane's aristocratic thug. Yeah, okay, so he's he's the guy who handcuffs handcuffs Jack to the uh yeah. to, to the downstairs thing in the Titanic. Yeah. Uh he plays the asshole really good. Yeah. He he has that really great moment after Jack has rescued Rose and uh Leo whistles at him to give him a smoke. <laughs> and you can his arrogance and his assuredness that he knows what happened despite the lie that Rose and Jack just told, uh, is always something I really enjoyed. And then later on, when he's just being uh, a, a, a very decent villain, which is a nice counterpoint to Billy Zane's over-the-top villain, uh, it's just a role I've always, I've always just kind of noticed and admired. So I have it at number 19. Good stuff. Awesome. Keep it rolling. At number 18 uh, is a performer i don't think you have any experience with uh and is in a movie i know you haven't seen it's a movie i love uh, my number 18 is sydney poitier as crease in the movie sneakers right i forgot um so i don't yeah i don't have a lot of experience with sydney poitier you you know that i haven't seen this um i thought we were gonna have actually a decent amount of overlap in our top 10 but yeah. i guess kind of mild spoilers that might might not be the case. <laughs> uh, please proceed. Sorry, the film is... Sneakers. Sneakers. Okay. Yeah. Um, this movie is a movie I think you would really like, Sam. And I've, I've probably mentioned this a few times. It is a kind of like a heisty con man kind of uh, movie. A complete ensemble. It's along the same lines of Ocean's Eleven. It is a group of people... Uh, this movie, this group of people is a security company. They're hired by companies to break into other companies to try and find the weak points. So they're, they're doing it legally. Mm. Uh, the crux of the movie is that they are hired by uh, the government to steal something from the Russians. Uh, or, yeah, the kind of the Russians. Um, and it turns out that the the government isn't all that it seems. Whoa. The we can't trust the government. Yeah. Um, but this cast uh, is led by Robert Redford, Sidney Poitier, Dan Aykroyd, River Phoenix, and uh, David Strathairn, 
Mm. Good they, night, good luck. Yeah, they have amazing chemistry in this in this movie. They all play off each other very well, and Sidney Poitier, he brings this gravitas to his role. Um, he is in great contrast to everyone else in the movie because everyone else is having a lot of fun and a lot of comedy, but he plays the straight man, basically. Um, he is just working his charm, having a great time, and really brings this real great sense of authority to the role and to the movie. Uh, it was... Uh, sneakers is a movie that I could watch over... I, I could put on Sneakers at any time and be very happy. Uh, yeah, so that's my number 18, Sidney Poitier as Crease. Cool. I might have a bit more to say about Sidney Poitier, but something tells me uh, it won't be the last time we'll talk about him today, so I'll save it for now. Uh, number 17 is the first of a few voice performances mm. I have on my list. And this is uh, an actress I don't have much experience outside of this, and it's Estelle Harris as Mrs. Potato Head in Toy Stories 2, 3, and 4. Um, so a last-minute cut yep. for me. Uh, very narrowly missed out on making the list. I will also just add that... Um, I have experience with Estelle Harris as well. I watched Seinfeld a lot back mm. in the day, and she plays George's mom. Okay. And she's phenomenal. And I think probably that's what most people would know her as visually, like as far as, uh, you know, a, a live action role. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she was also in this uh, this kids sitcom I watched when I was really young, when I was like, I don't know, uh, eight to ten years old. Um, people my age may remember the show. It was called The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. <laughs> No, I have heard of that. You've I, heard of that? I don't know. It was like a family channel show back in the day. She was in that as well. And she's just so recognizable. Like the, one of the most recognizable voices in uh, in all of, you know, all of the land. But really her performance as uh, as George's mom in Seinfeld is what I think she'll mostly be remembered for. Definitely. And, um, yeah, just a, a super iconic performance there. But uh, no, Mrs. Potato Head uh, just slipped off the list for me. Um, so why don't you talk a bit about that performance? So I, well, I don't want to say grew up with Toy Story because the first Toy Story came out when I was 20, mm. but I got to experience them all as they were happening. And, you know, the, the big joke in the first film is that when Andy is unwrapping one of his toys, Mr. Potato Head is wishing for a Mrs. Potato Head. Great joke. And then it pays off in Toy Story 2. She is so perfectly cast. And she has great chemistry with Don Rickles as Mr. Potato Head. Uh, her affection for the Little Martians was great. Uh, and then I didn't do this for all of them, and I didn't pull the exact quote. But her, don't forget to pack your angry eyes quote. <laughs> absolutely just a delight in in comedic uh it's just a really great voice performance pixar as always knows how to perfectly cast their movies in in the voice roles i can't really think of a time where they've miscast somebody's voice for a role uh and this just shows off that you don't need to be a star to have the right voice for the right role. Uh, and this is one of the many uh, examples of that. Estelle Harris, Mrs. Potato Head. Yeah, good pick. I kind of wish that she uh, squeaked onto the list for me. I was trying to find anything further. I, I was trying to remember the name of her character on Seinfeld, not just George's mom. It's Estelle. It's Estelle Costanza. Nice. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was my bad. 
Awesome. Uh, my number 16, I have a feeling would make your list if you had seen this film, which you will be watching in mere weeks. My number 16 is Ray Liotta as Joe Jackson in Field oh, of Dreams. Oh, yeah. I, I was, as I'm browsing through <laughs> all of these performances, this popped up many times and I, I got the same feeling. I'm like, man, I, I bet if this episode took place uh, a month later, I would, uh, I would have it. I'm yeah. excited to watch Field of Dreams early. I'm really excited to watch it with you. Go ahead. Um, he has, this is uh, one of his early roles, and those eyes that Ray Liotta has really gave him this great ethereal quality, made you really accept that he is a ghost. And it's this really very, the role doesn't ask much of him, but what it does ask of him, he pulls off. He has great chemistry with Kevin Costner, and that's important because most of their scenes, most of his Ray Liotta scenes are going to be with Kevin Costner. Uh, it's just this really great, I don't know, it's just this great performance that he has to pull off or this movie doesn't work. Well, actually, Kevin Costner really needs to pull his role off the most or this <laughs> doesn't work. But he, he does. I think he does a really great job uh, as Joe Jackson uh, in Field of Dreams. Nice. I'm excited for this one. Awesome. My number 15. I actually don't know if you've seen this movie. I think that you have. I'd be surprised if you haven't. But my number 15 uh, is Meatloaf as Robert Paulson in Fight Club. Uh, I have seen this film, and it is actually on my list. Okay. So I'll jump ahead to my number 14. Another, I'm actually not sure if you've seen this, but you'll be seeing it within the next few months. Um, my number 14 is Paul Sorvino as Polly in Goodfellas. I have also seen this, and it is also on my list. Perfect. <laughs> now we're getting there. Yeah. Uh, my number 13 is an actor I know is on your list, but this role won't be on your list because I don't think you've seen this movie. My number 13 is William Hurt as Marshall in Mr. Brooks. Okay, yeah, you, uh, you've ascertained that all correctly. Okay. Uh, have you heard of the movie Mr. Brooks? I've heard of it, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. Okay, so Mr. Brooks... Mr. Brooks... Okay, wicked. Uh... Mr. Brooks is a, a movie starring Kevin Costner. This is the premise of the movie. Kevin Costner is a serial killer. Mm. But he's a serial killer who can is able to somewhat control his urges. He, I, if I remember correctly, I think he owns a, he is very rich. I think he owns a shoe company, but he's very rich. William Hurt plays Marshall. Marshall is Mr. Brooks's subconscious serial killer. Hmm. So he plays in the scene, but the only person that he can interact with is Kevin Costner. So it's, it's, you're watching Kevin Costner speak to his inner monologue. That's the role he plays. Hmm. And it's fun because it's like he has a dual personality, but that dual personality never comes through Kevin Costner. It's only played through William Hurt. Hmm. So all of his like dark thoughts, his 
snide remarks, the evil within him is only spoken through William Hurt. Right. But Kevin Costner, you 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 watch him play Mr. Brooks. Yeah, even though in reality it's all it's all him, but you know, you got two actors doing doing the heavy lifting. Yeah. Um I th- it's such a really cool concept for a character. Um again, it's an ongoing theme with this actor. Great chemistry with Kevin Costner. <laughs> um, it just works so well. It's a movie that I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it, despite the fact that it's Kevin Costner and I am a super fan. Uh, definitely, if you ever see it on streaming, it's worth. It's definitely worth a, a watch. I, it's it's such an it's such an intriguing concept to watch. Uh, the two of them play off of each other. <laughs> That's my number 13, William Hurt as Marshall. Uh, my number 12, uh, an actor I'm 99% sure that you have on your list. Um, but again, not for this role or for this movie because it's another movie I don't think you've seen. This is Ray Liotta as Henry Oak in the movie Narc. <laughs> When you said uh, Ray Liotta as a character named Henry, I almost stopped you, but you're you're good. <laughs> yeah, um, Narc is a is an underseen gem and is a movie I 100% recommend. Um, we talked about mentioning when somebody is up for an award. So this award, not the a huge award, but I thought it was worth. He was up for an Independent Film Spirit Award uh, for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, it was he was nominated. He lost to Dennis Quaid for Far From Heaven, a, a movie I've not seen. Um, I'm going to flat out say this: I actually don't remember his performance accurately, but from what I recall, from when I watched it, he was fucking awesome. It was kind of like almost a return to form from his time uh, in Goodfellas. Hmm. I felt like he had kind of been kind of floating around not really doing much he was so overpowering and menacing uh he does play he's on the other side of the law uh in narc he he plays a narcotics officer but somebody that really flirts the line and is willing to cross the line to get the arrest he is so incredibly powerful he uses his frame to really take up the screen and really seem like an oak, like an oak tree. Um, I do remember loving it, and that's why I have it listed so high. It's a movie I'm very excited to revisit, and hopefully sooner rather than later. Okay. My number 11 is an actor that you know I love in a movie I don't even think you've heard of. I know I've talked about it, but I don't think you remember... I doubt you'd remember me talking about it. My number 11 is Fred Ward as Remo Williams in Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. I do remember you talking about this, yes. This movie is so silly and fun. I really wish I had been on top of my game and purchased this before Fred Ward's death because I'd have to imagine that the price for a DVD for this has probably gone up since he passed away. I still like to get my hands on it. He learns, one of the things I love about this movie is that he learns to dodge bullets. This is before the Matrix. Hmm. Well before the Matrix. And I always loved it. He doesn't dodge bullets the way that Neo dodges bullets. Like with the 
the bullet time bending over backwards yep. slow mo like thing. He literally comes at you almost like a boxer, like bobbing and weaving. And when you, he just kind of dodges <laughs> out of the way of the bullet. The way he does it has always made me laugh. And one of the things I loved is that anytime somebody threw something at me, and I dodge it or they missed, I would always just fucking yell. Remo Williams, baby. <laughs> Whereas everybody else now, or post ninety nine, yep, say Matrix. Yeah, I still, whenever somebody throws something at me and I dodge it, I still want to say Remo Williams, but nobody, nobody, nobody would get the reference. Yeah, I would. Wouldn't get that, it wouldn't that now. make me even cooler then? If I'm using a reference that is obscure, doesn't that make you cool? It only makes you cool if somebody gets it. If you make an obscure reference and somebody gets it. You get a nice and a little head nod, you know? Okay, so then I just need to make this reference when Ray is around because he's the only old friend I have that would probably get it. Exactly. I'm going to ask him if he knows who Remy Williams is next time I see him. Do it. Report back. Fucking A. Um, that's my number 11. Okay. Keep on going with your number 10. All right. And then uh, I, will, uh, I will join the fun. Okay. I'm wondering if this is going to be on your list. My number 10 is the – I'm pretty sure it's only – it's the second – voice performance yeah oh yeah second the second boy voice performance on my list uh and that's angela lansbury as mrs potts in beauty and the beast which is funny because i've been doing a lot of forgetting of this movie yeah um i forgot <laughs> jordan gave me shit predictably in the chat today for uh for falsely predicting that her number one would be terminator 2 a yep. movie that she hasn't seen um when it's well known her love and affection for uh for beauty and the beast so Trying to predict your top of 1991 was uh, was not correct. So I uh, this is one of the names I kind of forgot and rediscovered as I was preparing for whoop, whoop. this, like right before we went on. Um, honestly, I don't feel strongly enough about this performance to even slot it in anyway. Okay, it would have been um, it would have been borderline at best, but cool. I, I felt comfortable uh, leaving it off. Uh, perfect casting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the type of voice performance where you hear it and you watch it and then you've watched it so many times you're like i just don't know who else could yeah that just is who mrs potts is yeah who played mrs potts in the live action i can find out for you if you want cool your favorite (laughs) your favorite (laughs) film of 2017 not um an incredible song performance we did talk about this in the episode is that she did not want to sing the song beauty and the beast so the version you hear in the movie is the one take that she did of the song. Sweet. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, 2017 live action remake of Beauty and the Beast, Mrs. Potts, played by uh, some nobody actress named Emma Thompson. Oh, damn. That's a good one. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, her voice is really soothing. It's very maternal. Uh, I think it's a, it is a really good voice performance, uh, and that's why I have it at number 10. Yeah, I uh, I agree. It's a great. Uh, it's a good voice performance in that movie. Uh, it was probably fourth or fifth down the list when we talked about it the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, not one of the ones that I, I super connected with, but you're right that it's just it's just well cast and well performed, and can't can't find fault in that. Sam, you finally get to uh, stop my narcissism. Yeah, and talk on your own. Uh, so arguably the bottom half of this list was more fun to put together than the top half. Cause okay. I, I really, I really managed to squeeze some, some Homer picks in there. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh uh, yes. Yeah. I, I remember seeing that. I'm like, Sam's going to have some ones on that. I will not. Yeah, definitely. Uh, okay. So I doubt you have this one. Um, I wonder if you have anything from this actor, because I'm not familiar with anything else of his um, Mitchell Ryan. Nope. Uh, as Mr. Allen and liar, liar. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, is I actually had, um, 
he was in uh, Lethal Weapon. Mm. Uh, he played the he played the big bad, but not the main villain. Um, but yeah, and there was another one. But please go ahead with uh, Mitchell Ryan. Yeah. So uh, for those who don't know, Liar Liar is one of my all time favorite comedies. It made my top twenty list of all time, like my top twenty favorite films of all time. Uh, Mr. Allen is just a stony faced man. I-, I can definitely see him as the head of a firm. He plays Jim Carrey's boss. Um, and this this is a very typical '90s movie about uh, Jim Carrey falling into a hilarious situation where he um, forgets how to lie as a lawyer, and uh, in doing so, learns the true meaning of true meaning of family. You know, learns to prioritize his family over work. Tells his boss to shove it. It's it's very cliche and, and hammy in that regard, but I love it. Um, and uh, Mr. Allen, even though this is not an actor I've been super familiar with outside of this role, is a, is actually a pretty big part of that yeah it's not the biggest role in the world but just playing his deadpan boss uh is is a really good role there's this one scene where jim carrey's character having forgotten how to lie um tells his boss exactly what he thinks of him and it's this brutal roast he just absolutely um chews him out tells him what a piece of shit he is and tells him where to go essentially and Mr. Allen, thinking that he's joking, initially just responds with deadpan silence and then uproarious laughter. And it's such a, it's such a funny moment. And a lot of that is from uh, Mitchell Ryan's performance. Um, I don't expect anyone else to really even remember this uh, performance at all. But uh, with I've I've seen this film dozens and dozens of times, upwards of fifty times in my life. And uh, you know, I've I've memorized every every movement of this guy's performance in this movie. That's the funniest damn thing I ever heard. I love a good roast. is uh, is a great great line delivery from him. So I, I had to get this on here at number ten. This is uh, again, I I bumped. Uh, I think I bumped Angela. No, not Angela Lansbury. I bumped Estelle Harris for this. I, I have no regrets as I'm sitting here talking about this. <laughs> when I saw this actor, I knew that this was gonna be on your list. Yeah. Um, he also has um, another role in a movie I love. I don't think you've seen called Gross, uh, Gross Point Blank. Mm-hmm. Uh, heads up when we get when we go back to revisit 1997, mm. we'll be reviewing this movie cool. because Charles loves it and has already called it. He wants to come on. Sweet, I'm into it. Um, it's a very small role, very similar similar in size to his role in Liar Liar, um, but doesn't quite have the as good a scene. Uh, yeah. as he does in Liar Liar, but cool. he's in it. And I was like, as soon as they said, I'm like, I think he's in Gross Point Blank. I had to look it up. Hmm. Uh, yeah, he's fine. <laughs> yeah. I know how much yeah. that movie means to you. Yeah, it, um, I'm definitely looking at this role through rose-colored glasses. Uh, he's just kind of a 100%. guy. He's just he's just really well cast. Yeah. Uh, awesome. You're number nine, Manny. My number nine is a voice performance. I'm trying to remember if... You know what? I Actually, now that this is the last of my voice performances, spoiler alert, last of my voice performances, I don't know if it's going to make your list because you did you you said you didn't get a chance to revisit this movie when we mm. did this year. I know where you're going. My number nine is Gilbert Gottfried as Iago. Yeah, in I made Aladdin. I made the decision to not put this one on the list. Yep. It's just not a fresh enough movie in my mind. It'd be dishonest for me to to throw it on there. Oh, that voice is fucking perfect. Ah, mm-hmm. so lutely perfect it is a complete contrast to robin williams genie it is a complete contrast to everyone else in the movie because his voice is almost fingernails on a chalkboard (laughs) almost it borders that line and it is fantastic he has great chemistry with jafar i'm sorry i don't have the actor who plays jafar uh ready but 
Gilbert Gottfried outside of Robin Williams garners the most laughs in this movie. And if, in fact, I think on my last rewatch, I think he might have even been approaching Robin Williams' uh, level of, of laughs only because I'm so used to Robin Williams' stuff in Aladdin that it doesn't make me laugh as much as it did back then. But uh, Gilbert Gottfried as Iago in Aladdin always makes me laugh. Uh, I absolutely love his performance. Cool. Good stuff. Um, all right. So I guess that's on to my number nine. Is that right? That is correct, sir. Okay. Um, I already had a Homer pick yeah. for me. You know what? This isn't entirely a Homer pick for you, but I, I do think you're going to be pleased that I have this on here. I have Fred Ward as Earl Bassett. And you can <laughs> pump the fucking brakes right there, <laughs> sir. <laughs> you're going to have to fucking wait. I believe that is correct. So on to your number eight, whenever you get a chance. My number eight is a actress who is this high because of a body of work. Now, I am much like Estelle Harris's, I used her in Toy Story 2, 3, and 4, all rolled into one. Um, my number eight is Nichelle Nichols as Uhura in the Star Trek movies. Oh, yeah, okay. I, uh, that, that makes sense. I haven't seen any of these, uh, so fair play to you. This would definitely be a series I'd be very interested in doing with you. Yeah, this might be fun. Um, I've heard that the late ones are kind of not great. No. Uh, but he, I've I've it, heard that um, the Wrath of Khan is like one of the great sci-fi movies of all time. Yeah, yeah. Two, four, and six are good. Mm-hmm. One, three, one is okay. Three and five are actively bad. Sweet. I know that three is the search for Spock. Yeah. I don't know what five is. Five is. Hold on. Hold on. So Star Trek: The Motion Picture, Star Trek: To The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek: Three: The Search for Spock, Star Trek: For The Voyage Home, Star Trek: Five. Star Trek Six is the undiscovered country. Star Trek Five. Clock's ticking, Manny. I don't. I don't Star have Trek it. Five. No, I'm not. I'm not. I can't do it. Final Frontier. Final Frontier. <sighs> yes. Uh, I'm not gonna. Because don't read the. Don't read the plot. Okay, not doing it. Don't read the plot because it. if it's if it's spoil, <laughs> if it tells you what they actually do in that movie, you'll be baffled. I would. I would be open to watching those films. I seriously would be. I would definitely. I would definitely love to because mm-hmm. I like I I will be gushing over m- all of them except for except for 5. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And you are a uh, uh fuck what's the name of um Next Generation? Yeah, are you a Next Generation guy? Are you a Picard guy? Or, okay. Yeah. I'm an original cast movies. Yes. I'm a Next Generation show. Mm-hmm. The Next Generation movies? Not good. No no bueno. <laughs> One of them is good. There's another one that's okay. And then I think there's four. I think there's four. There is one called, um, shit, start, fuck. Oh, shit. There's a crossover one between, uh, it's where Kirk kind of hands it over to Picard. Mm. And, uh, that one's okay. First contact fucking brilliant brilliant and then they have nemesis insurrection and i there's got to be one other star trek the next generation movie uh not good not not good (laughs) nice but let's talk about nichelle nichols as uhura um she played the role for over five decades she is a fucking icon Uh, i 
obviously, when this show debuted in the 60s, the TV show, then the movies, I think Star Trek The Motion Picture came out late 70s, probably around 78, 79 would be my guess. Um, What was your final guess, sorry? I'm going to go 78. 79. 79, okay. So... Before I get into that kind of stuff, uh, there's some stuff that I, I I want to talk about because her role is so iconic and so important for um, African Americans, especially African American women. Um, she on TV she shared the first on-screen interracial kiss with William Shatner. I did know that. Um, but I found this little tidbit about Nichelle Nichols, so I want to share this because I feel since we're paying tribute to these people as well as their roles, this is just tribute to her. So I just want to just bear with me. Um, frustrated with the racist harassment culminating with her learning that the studio was withholding her fan mail, she submitted her resignation from Star Trek after consulting with series creator Gene Roddenberry. She stated in several interviews that the harassment made her go back to work in theater until attending an N- NAACP fundraiser the fundraiser was where a star trek fan was about to meet her for the first time and to her astonishment the fan turned out to be dr martin luther king whoa king stated that his wife and children had seen star trek on tv and it was the only television series that he had approved of he said that her role as the fourth in command of the uss enterprise became a positive role model for african americans she withdrew her resignation from the series when King personally convinced her that her role was too important as a breakthrough to leave. Oh, that's that's a great story. Yes. She is a great... The Star Trek films kind of get split into two groups. Not the films themselves. Inside each movie. You have the movie where Spock, Kirk and Bones have their little group, and then it's everyone else. So it's Scotty, Uhura, Sulu, and Chekhov. They have kind of like their adventures, and that's kind of what – those are kind of the two groups that you follow for most of the time. Mm -hmm. So most likely (laughs) what happened is that the other four, so the Nichelle Nichols – and I can't remember the actors that played Chekhov and Scotty and uh, Sulu. I know Sulu. Um, God damn it, who played Sulu? I don't have to Google this one. I know this one. You know Sulu's name? Yep. What's his name? It's George Takei. George Takei. I know for a fact that George Takei hated William Shatner. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Shatner's a dick. Okay. An egotistical prick. Yeah. Tim Allen in Galaxy Quest? Mm, that is that, that is Shatner. That is Shatner. Yes. Yeah, okay. that's, what, that's one of the reasons that... Star Trek fans love that movie so much. <laughs> so great. A, a, I think that the reason that those split off in almost every movie is that those four didn't want to act with Shatner, where Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly could handle him, mm. and so it worked out well. Her, if I was to pick one of the movies. To single out one, it would definitely be Star Trek for The Voyage Home. In my opinion, it's the most fun. It is such a fun movie. And she has a lot of fun playing off Scotty and Chekhov especially. Um, it is just a role and an actor in a movie series that I absolutely adore. 
Uh, so I had to have it on my list, and it had to be in my top ten. So she makes it at number eight. Fantastic. Sam, you're number eight? Okay. So here I have some guy named Meatloaf not in the role that uh, you think it is currently. Oh, int- oh no. <laughs> Manny, I said this half of the list was going to be full of Homer picks. <laughs> Shit. Do you know which one of that? No, I actually, I actually don't think it's the one you think it is. It's not that one. It is uh, his role as Bud Black in Tenacious D, The Pick of Destiny. Oh, thank God. <laughs> this isn't much better. And admittedly, this is this is one scene. This is uh, not even really one scene. It's one verse. So this is a, this is a musical. This is a rock slash metal musical. And uh, Meatloaf is Jack Black's dad in the movie and he has one verse he plays a, he plays a religious dad who hates rock and roll he has one verse in the opening song kickapoo and uh it's it's glorious it's fantastic verse where he just te- basically tells his son that he's a devil worshiper and that he uh he'll never be anything in the eyes of the eyes of the lord and uh it's just very stern I, uh, any any role where you can get meatloaf singing is of course a, a huge plus just a fucking treat yeah just a fucking treat and uh, yeah his his one verse in the song even though it wasn't of course written by him is just it's just so well delivered i don't have a lot more to say about it because it's just a small small moment but i just love this movie had to get a little homer pick in there meatloaf is bud black <laughs> awesome uh my number seven i'm going to assume is on your list and pro- probably higher my number seven is james Kahn as sonny corleone in the godfather that is indeed on my list in the higher position okay sam you're number seven my number seven, uh, you already had earlier. I haven't been writing yours down as I've been going along. I, I usually do something of that type. but uh, I can send them to you after if you need them. Paul Sorvino as uh, Pauly Cicero nice. in Goodfellas. Go ahead. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll start off here by saying that I've only seen Goodfellas maybe once or twice, and it's been several years. This is one I actually really can't wait to revisit when we do 1990. It's going to be really good. And honestly, this is probably a while away because we usually... Oh, no, this didn't win Best Picture. <laughs> sure didn't. It should have, but it mm, didn't. We'll get to that. Oh, interesting. I know you're a big uh, you're a big Kevin Costner guy and big Dances with Wolves guy, so we'll see. I was actually thinking about this all day today. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, we'll discuss more later. Excellent. Um, at any rate, I'll just say that I could use a refresher on this performance uh, when the time comes, but um, I, I do remember this performance. I remember um, thinking... Uh, he's just very convincing as a gangster, does a good job conveying that sense of authority and the sort of honor among thieves that come with uh, his particular role. Um, does a good job playing a, uh, a mentor to uh, Ray Liotta's character in the film. And yeah, anytime you can get your name sort of on the list of iconic gangster performances in American film, because there's so goddamn many of them, you, you've probably done something right. He just, he looks the part, he acts the part, very convincing. Awesome. Yeah, actually pretty much said everything I have it as well. Um, he plays the mob boss to perfection. Mm-hmm. In all honesty, when I think of a mob boss, I think my mind goes to him first. Ooh. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it honestly does. Over, and I'm not over like, Brando? Over Brando. Really? Yeah, it does. Because it's funny. I don't think of... I don't think of Marlon Brando as a mob boss. Hmm. Even though he is. this, Yeah, this is more in like the stereotypical image of a mob boss. Yes. Which I, which I get. But when we're talking like film mob bosses, yeah, no, it's, it's Brando. <laughs> I, I, I get it. But like what, if if you were to tell... Like, here's the difference. Here's the difference. Thank you. Here's the difference. If you were to say... Think of a mob boss. I'd be like, 
It's Polly. Tell me the head of somebody of organized crime. I'd be like, it's either, it's either Al Pacino or Marlon Brando. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. Just the difference between mob and organized crime. Yeah, I feel that. Okay, it's it's a it's a minor difference, but it's it's just, it it's just what it envisions in my mind. Um, his, I know you haven't seen the movie in a while, so you might not remember. It's these small subtle things he does. He always has these stunned reactions to things. Like, why are you asking me this? <laughs> he does it often, um, and I learned recently, uh, which we'll get into when we get into Goodfellas, uh, there's one scene in particular where Scorsese told the actor acting against Servino to improvise, and it throws off Servino in the scene. Okay, I did. I rewatched a couple scenes with this actor uh, mm-hmm. in preparation for this. Is it the scene where there's an actor asking him to come in on his restaurant with Yep. Him? Oh, because that makes perfect <laughs> sense. That makes totally perfect. He's visibly uncomfortable. He's like, what What am I supposed to do here? Like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the exact scene. Fantastic. <laughs> that's great. Um, he's also really menacing in his demeanor. Mm-hmm. I love those actors that can just exude that type of power and be menacing without being loud or aggressive. And Paul Sorvino nails it. Um, side note, Sorvino also plays another mob boss in one scene in a movie called The Firm, and I think that's why I think of him when I think of mob bosses, because mm-hmm. he did it twice. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that was your number that seven. That was number seven, that's right. Awesome. My number six, uh, again, an actor I think you have on your list, but not for this role, because I'm 99% sure you haven't seen this movie. My number six is William Hurt as Tom Grunick in Broadcast News. Yeah, don't have it. This is a Best Picture nominee. And he was actually also nominated for Best Actor that year, but he lost to Michael Douglas for Wall Street. He was also nominated for Best Actor for the New York Film's Critics Circle Awards, but he lost to Jack Nicholson in The Wishes of Eastwick. Um, this is an incredible performance. He is so charming and so funny. He plays a great cocky newscaster, but he plays that cocky newscaster who thinks he's smarter than he is. He's not dumb. But compared to the two other people in the movie, played by Holly Hunter and Albert Brooks, he's not smarter than them, but he thinks he is. Mm. And seeing him in those scenes where he's trying to act as smart and sophisticated as them, and they both know that he's not, absolutely fucking golden. Broadcast News is a really great fucking movie. Uh, I'm really excited to watch it again. I've only seen it once, and it was within the last two, maybe three years. And <clears throat> it's by uh, James L. Brooks, same guy that did As Good As It Gets, um, and the creator of The Simpsons. Um, uh, Matt Groening, creator of The Simpsons. But uh, James L. Brooks, uh, one of the producers, I oh, think. Oh, yes. Yeah, responsible for The Simpsons, yeah, not sure. the creator. Yeah. 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 Uh, so he's a gajillionaire. Okay. Yeah, uh, I do remember – I remember you talking about this, actually. And I think uh, the James L. Brooks connection is uh, – is what jostled my memory. I yeah. remember you being uh, enthusiastic about this one. Yeah, it, it's it was so good. And Holly Hunter and Albert Brooks are fucking fantastic in it. There's a couple really good scenes uh, with Holly Hunter. Um, Holly Hunter saying the name Bobby over and over faster than you actually think is humanly possible. Comedic gold. <laughs> uh, and it's right near the beginning of the of the of the movie. A great scene. Uh, I highly recommend. Uh, watching broadcast news. Cool. Um, yeah, uh, so that's my number six. 
Okay, my number six. I don't think you've had this performance yet. You've had this actor a couple times. I have William Hurt as Thaddeus Ross. Not on my list. Okay. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, this is not in a specific film. He's in several uh, of the MCU films. Um, but I, I like this per performance. I like this character's gravitas, uh, his sense of authority. Um, I like he's a little bit morally ambiguous. You're never quite sure whether Ross is really a good guy or a bad guy, at least in the films. Um, but uh, he always does a good job in his scenes. There's nothing really in the way of a standout scene. But he has... He has the, the closest I could find to a standout scene is in... Uh, Captain America Civil War he has a very tough job in one scene of convincing the Avengers to sign the, Okovi uh, the Sokovia Accords great scene and it's a great fucking scene and honestly I think it's his performance that does a lot of the heavy lifting there um, and even though it's a tough pill to swallow for our protagonists um, you don't disagree really with anything he says it's one of the things that makes that film so great in the first place is that uh, you know you can understand where both sides are coming from um yeah, and his delivery in the scene sets up a lot of the um, the interesting morality questions that'll come up later in the film. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, William Hurt as Thaddeus Ross in several MCU films, but in particular, Civil War. Unlike Chadwick Boseman in Black Panther, they have actually recast Thaddeus Ross. Oh, have they? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, he will now be played by Harrison Ford. Really? Yes. That is a little bit strange to me. Not because Harrison Ford isn't a good actor. Of course he is. Uh, simply because I would, I almost expect that to be too big of a name. Like, distractingly big. Because I challenge anybody to see Harrison Ford in a movie and not say, hey, that's Harrison Ford. Not, hey, that's Thaddeus Ross. No disrespect to William Hurt. but It's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Does that I, make sense? It does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit of a weird casting for me, but hey, if it works, it works. I haven't seen any of the MCU properties with Harrison Ford in it. Or has have these properties come out yet, or is this for the no, future? No, it's going okay. forward. All right. Because Thaddeus Ross plays a very important part of the future of the MCU. Okay. Which I won't reveal. Got it. Because I... Because you, you read the comics. Cause, yeah, because I'm a fucking nerd. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Manny, you're number five. Is your number nine. Fred Ward as Earl Bassett. Mm -hmm in Tremors. He just fucking makes me laugh. Mm -hmm. But first and foremost, he has undeniable, incredible chemistry with Kevin Bacon. Watching the two of them play off one another, they easily portray that these guys have been friends for a long time. Oh, yeah. they He fits perfectly into this role. He knows exactly what this role needs, and he nails it. I fucking love that movie so much. It brings me nothing but joy, and he is one of the many reasons uh, that I love it. Uh, his ongoing uh, calling card of uh, "Pardon my French." Uh, everything about <laughs> everything about Earl Bassett makes me happy. I fucking love Fred Ward in this movie. Yeah. Um I, pretty much the two aspects I really latch onto and think about this performance are um, his great chemistry with Kevin Bacon. Uh, that's one of the things. And the other one is, uh, I guess you kind of touched on it, but didn't necessarily put it in these terms. He's got this like 
everyman like ability. Yes. Uh, you say that he just knows what's required of the performance. That's kind of what that feels like. He just just feels like a dude. <laughs> he just feels like a real life person and just brings his own uh, flavor to to this character, and it's really really great. Um, I gave Tremors a pretty lukewarm review when we, <laughs> when we talked Made about me it. So sad. Um, but this performance and the performance of Kevin Bacon, these two were like a clear highlight of the movie. Very clear highlight of the movie. I should make us re-review it now because you said that. <laughs> yeah. I won't. I won't. I want to, but I won't. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, my number five, Fred Ward, Earl Bassett. Sammy. Cool. Who you got at number five? Manny, I got a quick question for you before number five. Yeah. What was his name? His name was Robert Paulson. His name was Robert Paulson, played by Meatloaf in Fight Club. <laughs> Glad you got that. Uh, yeah, so... Um, this is a performance that I really like. Obviously, Manny, um, I think your affection for David Fincher is already really well known at this point. We haven't really had an excuse to talk about Fight Club specifically as of yet. Um, plans to do it maybe way off in the future. We're talking years off, I think, uh, if I'm not rough, mistaken. A, a rough estimation, 2023. I'd say 2025. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so. actually, 2025 would probably be pretty fucking, maybe late 2024. Um, all I'll really say about uh, all I really say about uh, the performances of Robert Paulson in this movie is that he brings this real vulnerability and innocence to this character, which is uh, a needed comedic reprieve from what is to come <laughs> in the dark back half. That is the back half of Fight Club. Wow. Um, yeah, very very innocent, very naive character who is just very sweet and very vulnerable and uh, maybe bites off a little bit more than he can chew in this, uh, in this club called Fight Club. Um, but yeah, really, really memorable performance. Uh, a lot of that is in the writing. He's got one very noticeable characteristic about him, <laughs> i.e. Uh, what I believe the narrator calls bitch tits. I believe that's the exact... Uh, Nailed it. Bob had bitch tits. Yep. <laughs> that's a great, great character introduction. And uh, Meatloaf... Uh, did the job admirably, knew exactly what was required of him. Well done. Yeah, he works well against Edward Norton in this movie. Yeah, um, yeah it's... Quite literally against Edward Norton in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> he... Yeah, I can just echo everything you said. Uh, Meatloaf is is really good in this in this movie. It's a movie I'm so excited to revisit. Um, there's so many movies I'm excited to revisit, and I keep putting them off because I'm like, I don't want to watch until we do it for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love it. Wow, number five. That's really high. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number four is definitely on... Well, I shouldn't say definitely on your list, but it's got to be on your list. I'm, as we're getting close here, we're, we're, right now, we're at Mount, Mount, Mount Rushmore. Mm. And then the podium. All right. So my number four, making Mount Rushmore. It's got to be on your list. It's Ray Liotta. Is Henry Hill in Goodfellas. It's on my list. Okay. <laughs> but it's higher. <laughs> uh, we're not done with the Homer picks, Manny. I, oh, Jesus. Again, I ha- I really had to scrape the bottom of the barrel for, for a lot of these things That's fair. here. And uh, I, I expected that. Yeah, totally. Um, I have James Caan, but it's not the one you expect. It's, oh, uh, shit. <laughs> James Caan as Walter Hobbs in Elf. So look, I'm already, I'm already gonna come out defensive. I'm already gonna, I've got my hands up like a boxer right now. Many can attest to this. Uh, I'm gonna come out offense, uh, defensive right away. Uh, 
actually probably one of the weakest performance on this list in a lot of ways. Uh, very much yeah. sleepwalking through the movie, yes. collecting a paycheck. I will be the first to concede that. That is uh, All of that is 100% true. Um, he doesn't give a shit, and he's very visibly annoyed by Will Ferrell. Like, not by Buddy the Elf, <laughs> but by Will Ferrell the actor. <laughs> he's visibly irritated by him. But, but, and here's the thing. That's the character. That's the, the where this character really shines, I think, is the scenes with Will Ferrell where you can see not Walter Hobbs, but James Caan being pissed off that he's even in this movie in the first place. And it just kind of works for me. That might just be me justifying a, a bad performance in a childhood favorite of mine. I'm entirely open to that. But I see this performance every year at Christmas, and I know that it's bad, but I still enjoy him and it's not even that i'm just enjoying the movie i'm enjoying him and uh, honestly his real life annoyance with this role and his very well it's well known that he just did not want to be on this movie and did not have a good time on set um but his real life uh annoyance just pays off and sells the character in my opinion so that's uh, that's what i'm going with for for my number four <laughs> Number four. Yeah, that's that. That is a homer pick. It is a homer I, pick. I I tip my cap yeah. to you. So you, that, s- you see where I'm coming from, though. I think I, I did do. a good job justifying that. Okay, well, I know <laughs> two of your top three. I I don't I don't know what the third one can be off the top of my head. Yeah. Because my my top three. I don't think you have, mm. unless one of them you have. But I'd be surprised because I don't remember talking about that movie with you. Okay, let's get to the podium. Yeah. My number three mm-hmm. is the same actor as your number four, but in a movie you haven't seen yet, but you will soon. It's James Caan. It's Paul Sheldon in Misery. Yeah. Okay. I was expecting this to be. I was expecting this to be up here, and I was kind of bummed as we were preparing this that I hadn't seen this film. But it's coming up for sure. Yeah. He's fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. absolutely incredible this movie which you'll find out soon misery only works because of kathy bates but she only works because james Kahn is playing off she allows or he allows her to play off of him so well it's his steady performance that allows Kathy Bates to do the things that she does in this movie that win her the Oscar, which I'm so excited for you to see. It's a really difficult role to pull off because it's not very showy, but it's not understated. It requires him to just be very solid, stoic, and reserved. And it is a performance I've always fully enjoyed in a movie that I absolutely love. Hmm. My number three, bronze medal winner, James Caan, Paul Sheldon. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. That's that's going to be a fun one to talk about. Uh, okay, so um, you know two of my top three. Two of them. One of them remains a mystery. Is this uh, a mystery one? Huh? This has got to be the this, is, this is a mystery one. <laughs> um it's it's another homer pick. I, it's gonna it's gonna make sense when you hear it, but you're I you're not gonna agree even a little bit. I don't think. Um, it's Ray Liotta as Detective Peter DeLuca in The Place Beyond the Pines. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. 
I didn't think you'd be, you know, pissed about it. Um, I, what can I say? We talked about this movie. Um, Manny gave it a three. I gave it a four. This is a, a film I've always kind of liked. One that not many people that I know have personally seen. Uh, the first two thirds of it are really, really top notch as far as I'm concerned. And it really, it, it really suffers in the in the third act. Ray Liotta is only really in the middle act of this movie and has a lot of scenes uh, opposing Bradley Cooper. Uh, they both play sort of corrupt. Uh, police op- uh, police officers, um, but Ray Liotta definitely more on the corrupt side than than Bradley Cooper in, in this case, and uh, it's definitely a different kind of role than some of the other ones that we uh, will talk about. <laughs> uh, but I, I love I love his intensity in the role. He's so intimidating every time he walks into this into this room. Um, very different kind of performance than sort of the innocent one that the, you know the other one has. Um, so I just love seeing this other side of Ray Liotta. Uh, there's a scene where he pulls over Bradley Cooper, uh, who again is another cop. And that scene is just so fucking intimidating. And like, I feel the dread in my chest every time that scene comes on. That's like his role in NARC. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the Ray Liotta you see in NARC. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely showing a bit of range there. And, uh, yeah, small role in the film, but, uh, but yeah, it's just fucking good. So sweet. I, I like it. <laughs> that is a that is a homer pick. It is. That being above Fred Ward makes me angry. No, just kidding. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. You know, I almost moved Mitchell Ryan uh, from Liar Liar above Fred Ward at the last minute, but oh, I decided I against it. <laughs> I would have lost my mind like I did yeah. earlier today at the, with the list I was giving the PFGs. Yeah, right. All right, my number two is a. It's the only time she appears on this list. And it's a movie I'm, again, 99% sure you haven't seen because I know the two roles that you have left. Mm -hmm. So it's not this. So there's no way you saw this movie because if you did, she'd be up here. Hmm. And that's Louise Fletcher as Nurse Ratched in One Flew Over the Cookie. Yeah, I haven't seen this. This is another, this and kind of the James Caan Misery performance were the two big ones where I was like, "Ah, I wish I had, I wish I had seen these before making this list, but what can you do? Um... She wins Best Actress at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. She wins Best Actress at the BAFTAs. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress by the New York Films Critics and lost to Lily Tomlin in Nashville. This is one of the greatest movie villains of all time. Hands down. No debate. No debate. <laughs> I wasn't about to debate. <laughs> <laughs> um, you just fucking hate her. Like, this is... An unbelievable performance from somebody that <laughs> you, as you're watching it, you're just like, I wish bad things upon you. It's unbelievable how much I want bad things to happen to you. But it's not like she's a Karen or anything like that. It's just her demeanor and the way she goes about doing her job. You are just in awe that somebody can be this much of a fucking bitch and is so incredibly corrupted by the power she has. It is worthy of every accolade it has ever gotten. It is an unbelievable performance in an unbelievable movie. Love Louise Fletcher. Had to be on my list. Had to be number two. I love all of that. Yeah. really should check out this film heard nothing but good things about it i do know the ending 
which does, is unfortunate. Doesn't matter. But uh, the yeah. ending, the ending isn't what is important on this movie. Okay. It's it. It's this movie is the void, not the destination. Mm, nice. Yes. Cool. Okay. Well, my number two. Do you have a do you have a prediction for which is where? Well, I, I got a fifty-fifty shot. I guess. Hey. Yeah, I guess so. You can just flip a coin. James Conn. Incorrect. Fuck. <laughs> That's your number one. Wow. Uh, Ray Liotta, Henry Hill, Goodfellas. So, uh, admittedly... Uh, ah. Oh, sorry. No. Okay. <laughs> I thought you had something else to say. I do. Can I just say this? Yes. And I'm sorry to interrupt you as Please. you're about to speak on your number two. I predict, if I can remember, that after we watch Goodfellas... You will say this should have been my number one. Really? Okay. I, I hope I remember that you said that because okay. that's that's intriguing. Um, yeah. So as Manny knows that I was about to say, I'll reiterate what I said uh, when we talked about Polly, which is just that it's been a minute since I've seen Goodfellas actually, um, and Ray Liotta is actually uh, not the best performance in this film, <laughs> uh, or at the very least not the uh, most iconic character in the film. Uh, but that being said, the way that he bounces off of De Niro and bounces off of Pesci has really good chemistry with everybody else who's in the scene with. Um, he captures the arc of this character so well. What I was referencing when I was talking about his role in Place Beyond the Pines is that what we don't get in that role is this uh, is this innocence. He kind of has a way of, uh, I don't really know how to describe it, uh, feigning uh feigning ignorance or feigning uh, innocence when really he's just as much of a just as much of a scumbag as everybody else in the movie but he has this uh this innocent young kid persona about him that he kind of puts on mm-hmm. uh which is which is really uh really well done um the, obviously the famous scene in goodfellas is the uh, the how am i funny scene and obviously joe pesci gets a lot of the credit there but i think another one of the things that really sells the scene is ray Liotta's reaction to that um, because at this point in the movie, uh, uh, Pesci's character's name is Tommy, I think. Correct. Yeah. Uh, nobody knows Tommy better than Henry. Like these, these two know each other really fucking well. So when Tommy flips the switch and goes, how am I funny? Gets really serious in the middle of a really funny moment. It just gets really serious. It's Henry just dropping his smile instantly and ha- having that, that innocent, naive persona kind of come back. And you're just like, what? I didn't, I didn't mean anything by it. It's that straight man reaction from Ray Liotta that, te- that gives us, the audience, a cue like, oh, this is a serious moment. Like, we need to be worried about this right now. Um, and it's just it's really well performed by, by both, of course, especially Joe Pesci. But uh, I think Ray Liotta deserves his, uh, his praise in that scene as well. I have a really great story about that scene do you want it now or when we do goodfellas if i tell it to you now if i tell it to you now i think you'll be able to enjoy that scene a little bit more by looking at the other people in the scene is what you're going to tell me that that was all that was improv and that uh the I, only people that knew that that was going to happen were ray Liotta, joe pesci and martin scorsese yeah okay all the other actors in the scene if you watch them they don't know what the fuck is going on, and that's what makes this scene so tense. Yeah. You can sense it right away because all the other actors are like, what the fuck? <laughs> and it plays because that's exactly what that scene is about. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, this was my number four. Um, he he was nominated for Chicago Films Critic Association Best Actor Award. He lost to Jeremy Irons uh, in Reversal of Fortune. Jeremy Irons is who wins Best Actor that year at the Oscars mm-hmm. for that same role. Uh, he I, I think Ray Liotta is electric on screen. 
I think, honestly, without... I think I've seen, right now, three of the five Best Actor nominees from that year. I would have seen Robert De Niro in Awakenings. I think Kevin Costner for Dances with Wolves. Whom I... uh, I haven't seen Jeremy Irons. Um... Gerard Depardieu for Cyrano, I believe. Who's the fifth? In what? Sorry. Oh, I thought you. Were... I, sorry, I was looking up. I was looking up what I think is your number one. Oh, okay. Hold on. Um, I I, I do want to see this because I, uh, not the not not the ninetieth ninety third. No, not fuck. Sixty third. Sixty third Oscars. Sixty <laughs> third Oscars. Um, can I get there? Richard Harris for the field. I wasn't going to get there. Ooh. Okay, so I've seen De Niro and Awakenings, and I've seen Costner and Dances as well, so I've only seen two. <sighs> would I take out either? No, I wouldn't take out either one of those two for, for Ray Liotta. But I, I think Ray Liotta in, in Goodfellas is abs. I, I think because Joe Pesci is so good and De Niro is so good that he gets overlooked and the last couple times I've watched Goodfellas, I'm reminded of how great Ray Liotta is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he's absolutely electric. His chemistry with Pesci and De Niro, you totally believe that they grew all that. Well, he grew up with them because mm-hmm. they're all older than him. They just can play off one another. They give you that complete sense that they've spent a lifetime together. He, how, when he gets manic at the end, when he's fueled by cocaine, mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, Karen. <laughs> and that laugh, that fucking laugh. Absolutely superb. Uh, I think it's a completely underappreciated performance in one of the best films of that decade. And that's your number two. That is my number two. On to your number one. Um, Did you I, want to harbor a guess at I, it? I think I do. I I wasn't actually expecting this to be it, but it's the only film I can think of that could possibly... It's the only one remaining that I think okay. I, I could say. Um, Sidney Poitier's performance in The Heat of the Night. 100%. Okay, cool. Yeah. Didn't you just watch this for the first time recently? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, then it's made it to number one. That's yeah. great. My number one is Sidney Poitier as Virgil Tibbs in The Heat of the Night. No Oscar nomination. Mm. Fucking crime. <laughs> he did lose. Um, well, I shouldn't say lose because the winner was Rod Steiger for his co-star in The Heat of the Night. Mm. Um, he did get a BAFTA nominee as Best Foreign Actor, uh, but he lost to Rod Steiger in The Heat of the Night. Rod Steiger is absolutely amazing in that movie. I am okay with Rod Steiger winning but when you watch Sidney Poitier his performance and then knowing what he's doing at that time in the United States is unbelievable it is a chill inducing performance it is so groundbreaking for its time and the iconic line they They call call me Mr. Tibbs Even though you know that line, and when it's about to happen, you know it's about to happen, and it still carries the same weight, mm-hmm. it's 
awesome. <laughs> he's so regal. He carries himself with such pride. He carries himself with such assurance. I love this film. I love this performance. There's another iconic moment in this movie that I, I didn't know of until after I watched the movie. <laughs> There's a moment. This movie is set in the South. He is a <clears throat> a police officer. I think he's from Detroit. He's from the northern part of the States. And he just happens to be down there visiting family. Gets embroiled in a murder investigation. Uh, so he is a black man in the Deep South. At a time when he was not well-liked. Even now. <laughs> but back then, even worse. And he slaps a rich white man. And dude, <laughs> 60 years later, it still carries the same weight, knowing what he had to do. Mm. Even doing it back then in the 60s as a black man, I was just like, wow. It is a absolutely iconic performance in an absolutely iconic film. I can't wait to watch this movie again. It is as good as advertised. And so is Sidney Poitier. My number one performance. Damn. That's a, that's a great review. I have nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> I have no notes. That was spectacular. Um, okay. Well, I mean, you know what my number one is. And if you listening uh, have been paying attention, you know what my number one is as well. Uh, James Caan as Sonny Corleone in The Godfather. Right, so um, this has been the first time I've actually had to say anything like this because none of my other performances have been good enough to necessitate <laughs> this. Uh, but he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, uh, as was everybody else who was in The Godfather. Uh, but none of them won. Uh, they probably split the vote. Yeah, probably did. It was uh, someone from Cabaret whose name escapes me. Yeah, he... <laughs> oh, shit, where is it? Uh, where's my James Con? Oh, there he is. Uh, Joel Grey for Joel Cabaret. Gray. I, ju I just watched Cabaret. And? Uh, he shouldn't have won. <laughs> is, is it a good movie, at least? I did not like it. Really? Yeah. Oh, man, because looking through that year for the Oscars, it's basically just Godfather and Cabaret show. Yeah. What did I give Cabaret? You go ahead while I... Yeah, totally. I want to see what I gave uh, it. Such unbelievable intensity. Uh, this man is a fucking hothead. This man is somebody who uh, has such intensity behind him in in every scene he almost he does kind of remind me a lot of pesci's character in goodfellas yep. in the sense that he is such a hothead but a lot more in control this this is a guy who does look like he's going to become the patriarch of this family he looks like he's on his way um certainly a hothead certainly has the potential to fly off the handle but um also has those leadership capabilities um he, but he's, he's definitely a loose cannon. Um, very sweet also. We see some sweetness from him. We see him be a family man. He defends uh, Talia Shire's honor uh, on, on one occasion. Uh, very demanding role physically. Yes. A lot of physical acting in this performance is what I really like about it. Uh, there's the scene at the toll booth, of course. Very physical scene from him. The aforementioned scene where he uh, defends Talia Shire's honor and beats up what is her husband, I think? Carl. Or yeah, he beats up Carlo in the middle of the street. If you touch my sister again, I'll fucking kill you. Just deadpan delivery after he just beats the shit out of this man. Um, so much to like about it, but mainly the physicality, the intensity, and then a little bit of sweetness uh, sprinkled in there. Excellent performance. Well done. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, he... Uh, you covered everything perfectly. He's so explosive. He fits in perfectly with his family. This movie's so good. I'm gonna ha I'm gonna have to watch 
the first two again because we have the Godfather three coming up. Oh, true. Yeah. Fuck. So I get to. I'm, I've never I, seen Godfather three. I know. I know. You, you, if I recall, you say it's not as bad as everyone says it is. It's not as bad as everyone says it it's is. It's specifically Sofia Coppola and yes. the uh, uh, Tom not being there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you, we'll talk about then. Winona Ryder was originally supposed to be in that role. She uh, opted out because she was exhausted. Um, she was exhausted because her schedule had been so full. A lot of people think she was exhausted because she was uh, dealing with some addiction problems. Mm. So uh, Sophia Coppola stepped in on very short notice. Not an actress. And it painfully shows. And then, um, why can't I remember his name? I can see his face. Robert Duvall mm-hmm. uh, asked for a, 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 a tidy sum to come back and reprise his role, and they were like, no. And so they had to rewrite that his part for somebody else. He's not recast, but they had to rewrite the movie to explain why he wasn't there. Yeah. Other than that, I still think it's really good. Pacino is superb hmm. in it. Uh, and why we're talking about The Godfather 3, we're supposed to talk about James Caan. <laughs> Anyways, that being said, I'm really excited to rewatch it. It is nowhere near as good as one and two, but it's not as bad as its reputation is, in my opinion. I haven't watched it in over 10, 15 years, if not more. So I'm, it's another one that I'm really excited to revisit. Hmm. That being said, James Conn, great as Sonny. I, I love everything you said. Uh, he is very physical and very sweet. It, he portrays being the hothead, but someone that loves his family. He walks that line so perfectly. Uh, I love that it's your number one. I will try to remember after we watch Goodfellas to see if you think that Ray Liotta should should have taken over number one. Your passion that you have uh, talking about James Conn at number one. I don't. Maybe he won't re- up, ups, upset him, but. Uh, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I've only seen Godfather 1 probably about three times in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the most recent one would have been when we reviewed it for the podcast, which is probably a good three years ago now. Is that long ago? 2019? Uh, three years ago is 2020 now. Oh, for fuck, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not entirely sure, but I can try to pull up my podcast notes from... Uh... No, it's 2021. Is it? Okay. Yeah, January 2021. Right, so two years ago. Yep. So, yeah, even... Even now, still not the freshest in my head, but yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, wouldn't be mad at rewatching those uh, in anticipation for night. Oh, I, I will be, but I know myself well enough to know I probably won't. No, you probably I, won't. <laughs> I don't know how you're gonna get through seven hours of film before having to watch another three-hour film. Is Godfather three three hours? It's gotta be. Fuck. Yeah. Okay. You gonna look it up? Yeah. I am. All right. So that wraps up our top twenty slash ten of our In Memoriam Emporium. Now, as we mentioned before, these were only the actors uh, that we're paying tribute today. There were a couple directors that passed away, uh, three notable ones. Um, Jean-Luc Godard, uh, who I have no experience with. Nor do I. Widely considered one of the greatest to ever ply the craft. Uh, And then two that I have a lot of experience with, and Sam not so much. We weren't sure how to incorporate directors into this list, so please feel free to contact us with any ideas you have to help us honor them. Right now, what we're going to do is 
I'm going to list my favorite three films from them. Sam didn't get to see a lot of their movies, so he's just going to list off the ones that he's seen and that he enjoyed. We're just we're not going to go in depth at all. We're literally just going to rattle them off, maybe talk about a couple things we liked about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to start with Wolfgang Peterson. Why don't I just do my whole list? And then you can chime sure, in. Sure, yeah, go I, ahead. Know, I know you've only seen one. Mm-hmm. So my number three uh, is the absolute. Hmm. Fuck it. I'm gonna use it. It's guilty pleasure. Troy, hmm. Brad Pitt, Eric Bana, uh, Orlando Bloom. Sure. What's Orlando's name? The Lord of the Rings, Legolas. Yeah. Orlando Bloom. Yes. Okay. For some reason, Bloom was felt wrong to say. That's so weird. Um, it is a over-the-top, absolutely, incredibly lavish production of the telling of the Battle of Troy. Uh, everyone knows the exact movie that they're in, and they are going over-the-top. Brendan Gleeson is chewing on the scenery. Um, Brad Pitt. Might be the hottest he's ever been. He. It really depends on your taste. He, some, some would argue Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. He is a literal golden god mm. in this movie. He is definitely worked out. Wow. He is a hunk of man <laughs> in this movie. Um, I, I have always enjoyed Troy. Uh, it is way too long. But I can't get enough of it. It is just ridiculously bad, a.k.a. good. Troy's my number three. I've never seen it. My number two is a movie. Ooh, I think... Um, Could you... Could you quickly look up and see what year The Perfect Storm came out for me? I could. Off the top of my head, I want to say 2000. Oh, it's after 99? That would be even better. Um... Perfect Storm. 2000. Perfect. Uh, this is a movie I think I'm probably going to make us watch for cool. a review. Um, Perfect Storm. <clears throat> George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg, uh, John C. Riley. Uh, sh- uh, God damn it. I can see his face. Uh, William Fickner. That's ooh, who I wanted. Nice. Uh, and Diane Ladd. Diane Lane. Lane. Diane Lane, not Lane. Ladd. Uh, Diane Lane. It's the... Based on a true story of these three storm systems that all collided in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean Atlantic Ocean creating the perfect storm. What happened is a uh, a fishing vessel gets trapped in it and it's a story of these guys trying to survive this incredible storm. Mhm. <clears throat> it's got it's got my boy George. So I was automatically going to love it. It's just a really well-done movie about guys trying to survive adversity. Um, Yeah, I think it's just a well-done movie that I'm very excited to revisit. Hmm. And then my number one is the movie that we reviewed. Yeah, the one that I have under my belt for this this Um, director. Which is a movie I had seen before, and I couldn't believe how incredibly good the movie was and that's Das Boot it was so exciting to watch a film that really weaponized my aquaphobia (laughs) and my thalassophobia and my claustrophobia (laughs) 
<laughs> all of my phobias were contained in this tiny pressurized vessel at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> and I, I hated and loved everything about this film. Uh, yeah, the camera, the camera work we always talk about in this, how, you know, given the technology at the time, given how big the cameras were, the fact that we have this, these big sweeping shots down these narrow aisles in this, uh, in this U-boat is, is amazing. Yeah. Um, so that's Das Boot. The other director we wanted to, um, pay tribute was Ivan Reitman. Um, my number three is going to be, un- wow, back-to-back, number three, Guilty Pleasures. Uh, my number three is Draft Day. Hmm. Uh, Kevin Costner film about the uh, general manager of the Cleveland Browns on Draft Day. Uh, I have told Sam I would love for him to watch this movie because it is so fucking ridiculous. Uh, Kevin Costner relying on his charm. That works for me. Actually, you know what? He's actually not that charming in this movie now that I think about it. Um, basically, the only reason I want Sam to watch this is because of the trades done in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I have been wanting to watch. I've been wanting to check this one out for a while. I'll Google when uh, NFL Draft Day is. Maybe maybe we can make a day of it. That's got to be coming soon, doesn't it? The NFL so. Draft has got to be coming here pretty quick. I want to say March, April at the latest. April 27th. All right. (laughs) Do we have something scheduled? Oh, are you thinking of doing a draft day episode? Oh, damn it. Okay. Oh, wait. That'll work. Holy shit, that'll work. Because I can make it come out on draft day. We'll be recording on draft day. On April 27th, we'll be recording, but we already have something planned because the following week is May the 4th. Oh, nice. So if we do it the week before, so I release it on draft day, we, we could do Rogue One this year? Yeah, we are. Oh, shit. That's like the last, it's the last one. Yep. It's the last one. Can't wait to give that a three on air. It's going to be great. Rogue One? Oh, yeah. A three? Yeah. It's a um, three in my phone right now. I'm going to fucking punch your face. I know. I can't wait for it. <laughs> I can't, I already can't wait for that episode. Holy shit. <laughs> I'm putting in draft day right here. <laughs> Giving Fantastic! Fucking, if you're telling Draft Day Rogue One is fucking three, then you're I'm making you watch Draft Day the week yeah. before. I predict now I give it an equivalent grade. Draft Day a three, the, yeah. <laughs> if you give Draft Day a three, I'm gonna consider that a win. Yeah, totally. Okay, so Draft Day is my number three. Uh, my number two is your number one. Yeah, your number two is my number one. Yeah. Uh, let's so, let's talk about mine first. Yeah, your number two or your number one? My number one. Okay. My number one is Ghostbusters. Yeah. What can you say? It's a comedy classic. It is a movie that is considered one of the best comedies of the 80s. It made a shit ton of money. It helped launch Bill Murray into the stratosphere of stardom. It's a movie that, despite its mostly poor visual effects, Mm -hmm. still holds up. The charm of that movie stays there on the last rewatch which we did for the podcast it's the it was my first realization that that movie is no longer a five for me yeah it dropped to a four i gave it a three when we watched it yeah and uh, that's totally fine yeah uh i i still love that movie it will never drop from a four Mm -hmm. um it's just it's too nostalgic i i grew up with it so it will it will never be less than a four I think I, I must have told you this, or maybe this wasn't even true when uh, 
when we reviewed it, I can't remember. I had a coworker briefly. Um, I work at a, a at a music shop, as you know. Mm-hmm. I had a coworker who every time he walked by the pianos, he would just twinkle a couple notes up top and go, "They hate this." I fucking. <laughs> Can you tell that man I love him? Yeah, I will. Tell that man that I love him. That's great. All right. I wanted to save this for last because I get this incredible sense of joy and maybe pride Mm. when I suggest a movie for you and you love it more than I anticipated. (laughs) This was a surprise for both of us, I think. Yeah. We were not even supposed to be reviewing Dave. No. uh, Supposed to be reviewing the the 1993 comedy. Yeah. We were supposed to be reviewing the piano. Yeah. And... It just, uh, we couldn't find it anywhere. It disappeared off streaming, that's why. Yeah, so I came over to watch it uh, eventually because you owned it on, on Blu-ray. Um, but in the meantime, we needed a film to talk about. And you were just like, shit, there's this little comedy called Dave we could check out. And it, it's just something about it. I can't even explain it. I look up. I look it up on Letterboxd. Um, last I checked, I think it has like a 3.0 or something. Maybe not that low, but like definitely not a, a super high score. Uh, on Letterboxd. Hold on, let me pull it up again. 3.4. So, like, reasonable... That, no, 3.4, that's good. That's good, but, like, not, not like, fantastic. I don't know. Like, the, the rating curve of it is, like, a lot of threes, threes and a halfs, and fours, and then, like, nothing higher than that. It doesn't really feel like anybody loves this movie. It's just, like, a middle-of-the-road 90s comedy. But, I don't know, man. Something about it just really spoke to me. I don't have a lot of experience with Kevin Klein, um, but his performance as Dave just... Just got me, and him and uh, it's Sigourney Weaver, right? Uh, the the female lead. Yeah, man, the two of them play off each other so well. Uh, I'd never seen Sigourney Weaver in a comedic role before, but she has a couple of really good comedic moments. And then the supporting role by Ving Rhames is like one of the minor highlights of this film. He has this this stoicism, like so few lines in the movie. There's one moment where he looks at Dave and almost makes me fucking cry. One of his line deliveries at the end of the movie to Dave when they've completed what they want to complete makes me want to fucking it makes me want to tear up even just talking about it here. It's like such an emotional moment. It's it's an emotional, feel good, funny fucking movie. And I've only seen it once, <laughs> but it was a five on first watch. I fucking love it. <laughs> it was a, it was a four. Like when I typed it, when I typed in my notes before, I never give it really a star rating before, but I was like, okay, this is a four. But honestly, I'm trying to work on this. There's that self judgment that seeps in, you know. There's that self judgment where it's just like, well, this this movie can't be a five. Like it's like I, I enjoyed it a lot, but it's obviously a four. But as we're sitting here talking about it, and I got so excited about it. I just went, you know what? Like, there's no reason for me to not give this a perfect grade because I enjoyed it that much. I'm not raking the movie on how, like, objectively good it is. It's just how much I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it a five. Good. I'm glad. So that wraps up our In Memoriam Emporium. Um, Again, if people have other ideas on how we should proceed with this episode we would love to hear from you i would love any feedback both positive and negative about this this was the first time we've done something like this uh if you think that we should incorporate directors uh into our top 20 um then yeah we can definitely do that um but please we would love to hear from you either way uh what you guys think um before we go um i did do a little write-up uh, that we'd like to say before we head out. Um, so this is from both Sam and I. 
Uh, we would like to honor everyone else that contributed to the art form we celebrate on this podcast. Sam and I both love movies so much that we undertook this silly little endeavor to share our thoughts about this medium, and we're going to take this moment to pay tribute to all the others we didn't mention tonight. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your hard work and dedication to the movies that help bring us joy, as well as bringing Sam and I together. We show our gratitude by doing this podcast and continuing to enjoy the art you help create. Thank you for everything. You will live forever in cinema. For the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. His name was Robert Paulson. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios.